You are listening to the Roberta Glass True Crime Report, putting the true back in true crime. From New York City, Roberta Glass is now on the record. Fourteen-year-old Jody Jones was murdered in Dalkeith, Scotland, on June 30, 2003. Her boyfriend, Luke Mitchell, was charged and convicted of her murder in January of 2005. Sentenced to 20 years to life in prison, Mitchell has gained the support of journalists and wrongful conviction campaigners and, of course, has his own documentary entitled Murder in a Small Town, which aired last year on Channel 5, after which 15,000 people signed an online petition to free the convicted killer. Joining me to discuss is William Ramsey of the William Ramsey Investigates podcast. Welcome, William Ramsey. Good to be with you, Roberta. Thanks for the invite. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about Jody Jones's murderer, Luke Mitchell, is because his PR talking points are so much like Damien Eccles and the West Memphis Three's PR talking points. Luke Mitchell was convicted with no evidence. Luke Mitchell was convicted because he was an outcast. He was convicted because of satanic panic. What is some of the evidence against Luke Mitchell? I think most of it is circumstantial, but the fact that that was his girlfriend, that he was last seen, somebody saw somebody who looked like him and her around that time together, and the fact that he walked people when she was missing close to and found her body over a, a wall led people to believe that he was much more involved in her death than somebody random. I think that was it that, that really led to his arrest and uh, conviction, actually. So it was a circumstantial case, but I don't think that there was any other direct evidence other than the fact that he had been there. But there were also evidence that he was involved in getting rid of evidence. Uh, he had burned his jacket when missing. They never found the murder weapon. So there was kind of some suspicious uh, elements to that, to that case. Yeah. There's actually three people saw him with Jody Jones, and also that when they left, he said he was at home with his mother, and this will blow the minds of people who were born recently, but he called into what was called a talking clock. So his cell phone was broken. So he called into a talking clock right before, because he, he couldn't read the clock on his phone. He called in at 4.54 to this talking clock. So it's very hard to say that I was home because at home he wouldn't have needed to call into the talking clock. He had many clocks at home to see the time. And his mother was really key. Corrine, who is the star of this murder in a small town documentary, was really, was charged with, and eventually was dropped and what would be getting rid of evidence. So there was a bonfire at his home that night where she was thought to maybe burn the jacket. We don't know what she burned. And it's very difficult because in Scotland, these transcripts aren't made public. You have to know the legal team to have the court transcripts. So <laughs> we don't know all the evidence in his case that was brought up. We have to rely on the appeals documents and the press, which is a very tricky thing and right for manipulation. Was Luke Mitchell a typical teenager? Oh, of course not. No, he definitely wasn't. He was definitely involved in Satanism. found many of his essays, his drawings, and statements are pretty well known. His interest in Marilyn Manson is known. 
And they actually think that this particular crime done very savage. It was a very savage attack. I think one of the guys said that he had not come across mutilation extensive as this and had done so only infrequently. This is from the appellate court documents. There was just huge cutting injuries. And so I think it was one of the judges in the final verdict said that they believe that Luke Mitchell was emulating the Black Dahlia pictures that were painted by Marilyn Manson. Considering all this stuff, there have been 12 to 20 cuts to the neck. Extensive injuries to the face, chin, neck, and head were consistent with punches, kicks, or blows with a blunt weapon. One was severe enough to produce a contusion on the brain. So really vicious. And like Damien Eccles, he had a troubled history. There was a witness who saw him stab Jody with a knife into her leg. He had had problems with school. He was changed to a different school. The teachers at school wanted him to see a psychiatrist. They were worried about the things that he was writing. He was writing things like, evil is the way, I've tasted the devil's green blood in his notebook. So very much like Eccles. No? Yeah, and, and Baldwin, actually, for that matter. But yeah, a lot of that stuff. A lot of their writing, the West Memphis Three writing, does exist. And Mitchell was much like that. Number 666, Satan Lives. I mean, I think he flat out said that evil is the way and that I'm following, you're following the devil. I think that's what he said. He also wrote, people like you need satanic people like me to keep the balance. Right. Another was, just because I have chosen to follow the teachings of Satan doesn't mean I need psychiatric help. He admitted to stubbing out cigarettes on his hand as a party trick and scratched the number 666 on his upper right forearm with a compass of, of mutilation. If you remember, Baldwin and Eccles both had evil carved into their hands at the time of the murders. Remember that? Yes. And I was talking to Rick Mullinax of the Burn After Reading YouTube channel about that. And I was wondering, have you seen evil on Baldwin's knuckles now? No, I'm not, I don't think so, no. And I don't think it survived on, on Eccles either, did it? I, I'm not I sure. I don't think it did. Eccles now has some kind of like cult pagan lettering on his knuckles right now or on his fingers. But if you remember at the time of the original murder, May 5th, 1993, he had that pentagram on his chest that was mentioned in court. They asked him about it on court. So was this satanic panic in the murder of Jody Jones? Do you think that that his interest in Marilyn Manson was convicted. I think it's a him. causative factor. I think it's a causative factor. I think if you take Satanism out of both trials, there's still enough evidence to convict. So I would say, if you want to look at motive or what people are thinking, that that might be it. If a jury wanted to consider that, I think that his interest in Satanism was something that he was emulating in this in this murder in this death, this black dahlia murder. Well, they make a big point of saying, well, there's no evidence that Luke Mitchell ever saw this picture of the Black Dahlia. Right. There's no evidence of that, but they know that he bought the Marilyn Manson DVD, the Golden Age of Grotesque, two days after she died. So there's some interest, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it, it's just this idea that nothing that we consume affects us or says anything about us. I mean, if your fav two favorite bands are Marilyn Manson and Nirvana, I'm going to think that you're probably pretty angry. Yeah, I would say so. But he also had something that Eccles didn't, a habit of collecting his urine in bottles. So when, when they searched his home, they found 20 bottles of urine under his bed. He was just storing up bottles of his urine. Very odd. So strange. But he, also what was similar is his relationship with his mother. Eccles had a very a meshed relationship with his mother, and so did Luke Mitchell with his mother, Corrine. Eccles' mother was willing to lie for him and give him a false alibi. Corrine 
was willing to lie and say he was at home. Also, his brother, which is not seen, his brother Shane also lied for him. He said he was home. Home. I watched him make mashed potatoes. And then later, his brother Shane had to confess that he was watching pornography and masturbating, and he wouldn't have done that had anybody been in the home. The brother is just removed pretty much from this documentary, and it's really focused on Corrine as this victim. She makes these kind of faces like Lady Diana makes with moving her chin down and her eyes up, says things like, my son was taken away from me. I just found that outrageous because her son is still alive. Jody Jones's family, who didn't participate in this documentary is dead and she's completely written out of the documentary so even if her family was not going to participate there's nothing stopping them from exploring jody jones and talking to her friends or <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you want both sides of the story right it's so outrageous there's like oh i mean there's so many similarities between the west memphis three and all that stuff there's a picture of manson's black dahlia so they think that viciousness of the crime emulated that picture yeah one of my favorites from the documentary they literally start out with the same exact phrase that the west memphis three or Eccles did which is i've been locked up for a crime i did not commit it says the same thing right right at the beginning it felt very scripted to me, like he was coached on what to say. No? Yeah, well, no, I totally agree with that. It's the same It's the same narrative. I was seen as the out of the ordinary. Yeah, I was seen out of the ordinary and into alternative styles and lifestyles. It's the same Eccles trope. Right, because I was convicted because I was an, an outcast and it was easy for them to pin the crime on me. But one of the things also blame is the media. It's also the other thing that's so remarkable about this documentary is they assert that it was outrageous for Luke Mitchell to be a suspect when of course they're going to go to the boyfriend. He's the first suspect. I think anybody in their right mind would admit that he was going to be a suspect. But she says that they weren't allowed to go to Jody Jones's funeral. They were disinvited. Jody Jones's family didn't want the memorial service to be a circus. The media, she says, just showed up right at the time when they were having their own memorial service for Jody with white candles. It just looks so staged. So it reminded me of Pamela Smart and her staged interview she did after she orchestrated the murder of her husband, Greg Smart. Really reminded me of that. And it backfired terribly. Why was that interview so strange? It was just all, it was just totally strange. The one where she's like touching her son's ear and rubbing it and stuff like that. Yes. That one? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh man, that was so strange. Like she's covering for him and he looks nervous. And he, I mean, he, he did you notice that he wore that same black Nirvana shirt all the time? Like that's his only shirt. <laughs> you see that? Right. Like, I swear. I mean, I swear he only had one shirt. It's so weird. It was so, and the mother is just bizarre like and it kind of reminded me the same vibe as echo's mom black my son can do no wrong that kind of thing my understanding is that you believe that damien echo's mother really fostered her son's interest in satanism i believe that what the record shows is that she helped him along the way there's something in the police files of her taking him to bookstores and facilitating his reading interest and her vibe to me is full-on Wiccan, Satanism, occultism, something like that. Just the kind of the way she lived her life. That was his family's kind of outlook and religion. There's no evidence of her going to church. There's no evidence of her involved in any kind of other religion or anything overt. You know, usually they would there would be something something there, but the fact that there's nothing really overt in that she when she was interviewed about the skulls and stuff, she just acted like she it was just a normal thing. Oh yeah. Timmy keeps his skulls out of the clothesline. That's just a normal thing without like 
lying or obfuscating. Right. And in addition, the thing that we left out is also that Luke Mitchell was also a drug dealer. So he was getting marijuana in huge quantities and dealing it. And that was going on in her home. He also had a knife collection, sword collection. They found no knives in his home, but they did find a cover of a knife. And many people think that this knife was bought in December of 2003 after the murder. It had Jody Jones's birth year and death year etched into it. And many people believe that that made a container for the knife would would have been a gift from Corrine to Luke Mitchell after he had killed Jody Jones. And he was known to carry these knives that disappeared. His clothes disappeared. Many of these wounds were created post-mortem. So there's an assumption in this documentary that there would be so much blood. There's all these assumptions. There's be so much blood. And even if I believe, say Luke Mitchell had come covered in blood home to his mother's house, I believe she would have been the type of mother to help him clean up and get rid of the evidence. I mean, she's already burning things in her home that night. She's already lied for him. I don't see much difference in that than coming home covered in blood. Do you? Nope, I don't. I think that she's probably the type, just like you said. Here we have her narrating this documentary. It's such an odd thing. Reminded me of Damien Eccles producing the West Memphis 3 documentary. She's our narrator. I mean, we'll get into the other characters later that they have, but it is a cast of characters and murder in a small town that is not to be believed in their history. It's so strange, right? And they had the two detectives, right? The two detectives. John Salian and Michael Neal. They're two police officers who had quit. They were in a very elite squad, you know, investigating really detectives, investigating some of the toughest, most difficult crimes. They had been indicted for fraud. That's why they're ex-police officers. So then they started their own detective agency. And they look like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. They're going to go and solve solved crimes. Here they are. They're on the scene. And they're acting out the murder. One is being pretending to be Jody Jones. I mean, how insensitive can you get? This documentary is outrageous for callousness. It is outrageous. It's, it's, but it's just kind of like Paradise Lost 2 and 3. Totally callous. Totally ignored facts, omitted things. So, so do you think that they based this documentary on Paradise Lost documentary? I never saw the evidence for that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Did you get the sense that that was the case? Yeah, I mean, I think we have Sandra Lean, who is, she's a doctor, academic PhD, right? And she has a background in hypnosis. She comes off as like a kindly aunt, but she's so seductive and you really want to believe her and trust her but the things that are coming out of her mouth i know to be untrue for one she says there is no dna of luke mitchell on jody well that's untrue we know that's untrue because there was dna of luke mitchell on jody jones's but they agreed to not use it as evidence because they were in a relationship that would have been expected he was over there that weekend i think they found dna on his clothes too looks right in the camera and lies so but they, they put that out and they keep saying there's no scientific evidence. And so if that's the case, then just release Chris Watts and release all the people who are convicted without DNA evidence. I think that's what they mean when they say no scientific evidence. No, yeah, no that's a strange thing. Everybody who confessed, everybody who pled guilty, just release them because they weren't convicted scientifically. It's a new defense, and that was not used in the West Memphis Three, although it was used later on when they tried to push this DNA, this kind of general DNA, this idea that 
here's the scientific evidence and all the rest of the evidence shouldn't be looked at. I don't think they ever use that phrase. No scientific evidence, no? No, I don't remember that. No, that documentary, yeah, something else. And they're still out there. I mean, I just saw a video of Sandra, Sonia Fulton, Scott Forbes talking about how this is a travesty of justice. Luke needs to get out. It's amazing. The fraudsters are out. They're out in force. Sandra Lean has already pr- promoted the innocence of, I want to say his name is Adrian Prout, who killed his wife, and Simon Hall. Simon Hall was a character who killed an elderly friend of his mother's. It looked like he was going to overturn his conviction. He confessed and then killed himself. He's featured in her book, No Smoke. There's a big chapter on his wrongful conviction, eventually confessed. So (laughs) once you're wrong twice, do you think you, I would think that you would lose some credibility, but apparently not. You just move on to the next one. What do you think her motivation is? Money and fame. And also, and it's so interesting to hear them on YouTube. Scott Forbes is almost, for an American ear, almost impossible to understand. But the things that I do understand him saying is that he wants to sue everybody who disagrees with him. Sandra Lean has called us all guilters, that we're terrible people trying to hurt a cause that they're trying to do good. Guilters, trolls, horrible people, basically, is what she's insinuating that we are. Anyone who disagrees with her or shows up. Sandra Lean and Scott Forbes, who has a book now about scott mitchell have really become like a pair i wasn't aware of that he has this book that he's promoting and they're promoting and why do you think these satanic killers i mean when you look at these interviews with luke mitchell he's so unlikable why has he gathered all these support is it the nature of his case or michelle tierney at the trial said that luke said quote he said he could just imagine himself going out and getting stoned and killing somebody and how funny it would be unquote there are so many things that he did and said that are horrific. And here's these guys. And this book is a long walk to justice that came out this year. Literally last month, Scott Charles Forbes. Scott Forbes put his friend, Mark Kane, he's he knew from college. He saw him with a scratch and the scratch has become progressively bigger on his face as time goes on. He brought him to the police saying he thought he was Jody Jones's killer. And the police checked it out. They checked out the CCT footage of where he was. And we were like, sorry, no. Now that Mark Kane is dead, they have grabbed hold to him being the real killer. Because what better real killer than someone who's dead? But I also hear that they're also trying to accuse Jody Jones's family of this murder. Wow. So it's just like the West Memphis 3. Right. <laughs> so it's very much like the West Memphis 3. They get to re-victimize the Joneses' family. And that, to me, is like the really psychopathic thing that these wrongful conviction campaigns do is go after the victim's family and accuse them of being the real killer it's so disturbing it's wild it's wild the overlaps with the west memphis three are off the charts books the whole um kind of media attack the innocence fraud and then people making money off like this guy scott charles Forbes, is just you know probably another moral lover in my opinion i haven't read through his book the height to me was watching these two i call them tweedledee and tweedledum these two investigators <laughs> along with a journalist dream up this idea that they're going to give lie detector tests to kareen mitchell luke mitchell's mother the journalist is going well, if she fails, it'll be a great story. But you know that's not true. You know that the great story is the one where she passes the lie detector test. You know that's what he's going for. And then he picks up this lie detector test guy, does the lie detector test of Kareem Mitchell, Luke Mitchell. They both, spoiler alert, they both pass. <laughs> and this is the same lie detector expert who did Jeremy Bamber. 
and declared that he passed too. And he's on ripoff alert. This guy is using old, outdated methods that are unreliable. Don't trust this guy. It's just like this incredible collection of fraudsters, grifters, this documentary, in my opinion. This amazing collection all crafted together to promote the innocence fraud of one of the scariest killers. And, you know, Luke Mitchell killed a month before his 15th birthday. I really connected this to this movement to free teen killers. And if you're a teen killer and you get something like life without parole, which is essentially what Luke Mitchell got, I mean, 20 years to life, it's indeterminate sentence, then you've done something really awful. Your age is such a mitigating factor is what I mean. Right that it really has to be something off the charts, that usually you're forgiven for your youth. I mean, when you hear Luke Mitchell being interviewed from prison, what are your thoughts about it? How, how does he come off to you? Guilty, just like just like Eccles. Lying still, grifter, trying to elicit sympathy, baloney, lying about everything. What do you think? Do you think Luke Mitchell's better liar than Eccles, or about the same, or, or worse? to Echo, so I think for me, worse. I think worse. I think that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this. It's almost the same thing as Echo's, like appeal after appeal after appeal. I think that Luke Mitchell was on his fourth appeal or fifth. That still he lost. I mean, it's kind of like the Echo's mm-hmm. situation, but yeah, I think Echo's. I didn't see a lot of in person. There was a, a little bit from the documentary, but I didn't see the. I think Echo's really honed his craft over time. So I think that he he was much more skilled at deception. I think that he's not a very good liar. I think Eccles is a very smooth liar. I find him more convincing than Mitchell. But Mitchell has these dead eyes. And the other thing that they do in this documentary is Kareem Mitchell says, my son got a lot of criticism for not being emotional. So his girlfriend just got murdered and he's giving this interview. I think there was one tear maybe that came out and she said his lips were blue. I mean, what does that mean? He just has this flat affect. Every interview I've seen with Luke Mitchell, no? No, totally agree. Totally flat, which I think can be uh, indicative of something. <laughs> I mean, you would think he would cry like that was his girlfriend, right? Why wouldn't he be upset? Why wouldn't he? he one of the things that he didn't do is like somebody else has done it, right? He didn't seem to want to do that uh, originally, which is also telling. They didn't have the second And it wasn't his only girlfriend. He was also cheating on her with, with at least one other girl which I find very unusual for that age. Usually 13, 14-year-old boys really attach to their first couple of girlfriends and don't cheat on them. Here he's playing the field, he's dealing drugs, and he's also, what we forgot to mention, he's also giving the finger to the paparazzi, very much like Eccles, to the victim's family in court. I just could not believe the similarities. I would not be surprised. I don't think you would be either if they make Murder in a Small Town 2 Three, right, <laughs> like why not? Paradise Lost, right? You got to focus on one of the step parents, right? You know, that's the next step. That's probably the next step in that playbook. Go after Jody Jones's dad or mom or the creepy step parents. That's probably what they should do. I mean, I'm not trying to give them advice, but it sure seems like it. Yeah, it's so disturbing just to watch it, knowing that this guy has been through the system over and over again. And nothing has really led anybody to think it's anybody else. But he's definitely playing the court of public. What opinion. is this thing with the condom? I mean, Jody Jones was not sexually assaulted. So what is significance of a condom on the, near where she was found? Much more significant was the initials of Jody Jones and Luke Mitchell carved into a tree when he said he didn't know the wooded area. What does that sound like, guys? I wasn't familiar with that area. Right. I didn't walk through it. 
All right. Just like Eccles again. Oh, so everybody else saw me there, but I didn't have any idea about it. So they hone in on this one eyewitness, and it's been years later. The foliage is way different. <laughs> it reminded me of Anthony Porter and his conviction when they had a bunch of student journalists go in and reinvestigate. And the way they present these people like, these are the really good people. They aren't the satanic panic type people. These are the rational, calm, fair people that are going to reinvestigate this and set this right. You can trust us. And yet they're presenting the most untrustworthy people that they could possibly find. (laughs) Absolutely. Anthony Porter was the uh, murder in the park guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much. They went to that scene and that had been totally redone. And that reminded me of this, where they go down a road. And what can you see? Could you identify? And they always like to go after eyewitness identifications because they can, because they're mutable. Wasn't there blood drinking in this one, too? Mm-hmm. It's just all overlapping. <laughs> I was the local weirdo. That's what he said. It's the same stuff. I just wonder, what is it? I guess I asked you to talk about this because I'm trying to figure out why do these satanic murderers, the last people you would think would get any support? I think if you look at the West Memphis Three, for example, I think a lot of that early support was from fellow travelers and the celebrities. I'm just waiting for the celebrities to get involved in Luke Mitchell's case. Like, that'd be scary. I don't know who would want to sync up with him. But I think if you believe that satanic panic is some fictional concept, then you're discounting the influence of cult ideas and ideology. So if you could take that out of the entire analysis of what, any particular case, then it probably makes it easier for a person to believe that somebody was railroaded or was actually innocent. I think that that's really it. That's why there's that support. The question that came up for me was, is this a satanic family? Was this the family religion? I mean, this seems awfully early. Get an interest in Satanism, no? Yeah, absolutely. 13? 13 and 14. Absolutely. His mom looks like it. I mean, she looks like she just came from a witch's coven, all black, kind of strange person, the way she acts around her kids. And there's Sandra Lean, who's also an expert in hypnosis, Dr. Sandra Lean. I wouldn't put it past her to have some kind of interest in this either. I wouldn't either. I look at pictures of her. She's making weird hand signs. She just looked weird. Weird (laughs) necklace. Like, very strange. There's a lot of problems like that. I mean, isn't that the angle of hypnosis? Is I would think that a hypnosis, someone would say, to use it in a positive way would be to empower people, but the negative use of hypnosis would be to gain power over people. Right. And isn't that what Satanism is about? No? Absolutely. That's a core component. Yeah. Of power over people, manipulate people, lie to people. This Luke Mitchell case is really disturbing. When you pointed it out to me and I was reading through, I just like, ding, 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 ding. All West Memphis three things again. Get ready because William Ramsey, because they'll paint us as the devil. Anybody who speaks up about this is immediately labeled a troll, a hater, negative person who's trying to stop a campaign trying to do good. That's the way that they're going to paint it. I think it's very troubling. I wouldn't want Luke Mitchell to live near me. No way. No way. He really makes your blood run cold, and Corrine does too. Did you feel sorry for Corrine? I mean, they show her living with no running water and with no heat. No, no. I mean, I think that they tried to present her as a sympathetic person, but, you know, I just don't, I didn't feel that way when I was watching it. I don't think that Luke is sympathetic. I don't think she's sympathetic for covering up for him or obfuscating the case. So, no, I don't. Did you? Did you find her sympathetic? She's lucky, and Shane, Luke's brother, is lucky that they didn't do jail time and get a conviction for this. I'm not so sure, had this happened in America, that they wouldn't have done a couple years for destruction of evidence. 
I don't believe that Luke Mitchell will ever admit guilt, ever. And I don't believe Damien Eccles will either. Not anymore. I mean, I know he's already confessed, but I think they're so invested now in this innocence narrative and so many people are jumping on the bandwagon journalists. And there's a very interesting moment with that journalist Smith, Bob Smith, where he says, I'm, I'm interested in miscarriages of justice. And then he corrects him himself and says, alleged miscarriages of justice. He's the innocence fraud journalist. That's what I thought to myself. That was my response to that. But that scene will be forever burned in my brain where they're thinking of this lie detector. It's just like a carnival barker thinking up their latest sideshow. It really is. It's just like so crazy. We're going to get everybody in on Luke Mitchell's innocence fraud campaign with this lie detector test. That'll really get him. What's so funny is I just had a message from the West Memphis Three supporter last week. How could I ever bring up Eccles failed lie detector test, the fact that Baldwin refused one, and Miss Kelly failed? Because lie detectors don't mean anything. But when they pass, they mean everything. Good point. Very true. Super true. But I mean, I think that's the way it is. That's the way these people look at these cases. I'm going to pick and choose which facts and which things are relevant that support my look instead of objectively looking over all the evidence, right? So, hey, if he didn't pass his lie detector test, I'm not including that in my assessment. That's negative because lie detectors are fake. But however, there was a 12-hour torturous confession by Jesse that we're going to say is really real because that supports my position. So it's almost like they get that the conclusion before they do their factual analysis. What do you think about Scotland not making these trial transcripts readily available? Seems odd. Is that helpful or hurtful to Jody Jones's family or people who are interested in justice? It's a really good question. There's a lot of problems that people could take by looking at those. Like they could manipulate them, they, they can deny them, but not having them public, I think, allows a lot of leeway for somebody who's like an innocence fraudster to, you know, make things up. So the actual evidence. It also is in, in a way protects the process, the judicial process from people who, malevolent people who are wanting to get involved in the whole evidentiary process and stuff like that. So I think that I can see the rationale why they do it different in Scotland. I can see that they wouldn't want to have this whole process taken apart by people like, just like the West Memphis Three, even though that the whole, um, the majority of the court record is available, people still, you know, they're involved in taking it apart and parsing through that and picking and choosing. I had somebody pop up on my social media recently with their whole analysis and how it's all a fraud and all this stuff. So, I can see what, why the rationale of Scotland is that way. That even the way the appeal was written, just the way the way the crime was described, and Jones's body was very respectful and dignified, and I had a lot of respect for just the the writing of it and respecting Jody's memory and her spirit. You're right. At the same time, we have the West Memphis Three. The court documents are out there, and it doesn't seem to be helping. Uh, the fraud continues, so. It continued all the way to their release. I just think that people should take a look at this case, take a look at that documentary, because the overlaps are amazing. So a lot of people would say, like, this is a unique case for the West Memphis Three or Luke, but it's not the case. And I think there's one other case that I came across as well, which is very strange. A UK case about Satanism, too, and this killing. And uh, it was the Terry Hurst case. Did we talk about that? No. Yeah, look up Terry Hurst, H-U-R-S-T, something very, very similar, like murderous teenagers who did horrible things like overkill, capacity for overkill. 
Because the West Memphis Three was very brutal too, right? So this was absolutely brutal. And isn't it interesting though that Luke Mitchell, when this came out, they said that this was a salacious story, and the papers picked up on the salaciousness of it. But it was a salacious murder. Luke Mitchell murdered Jody Jones in a salacious way. I, I don't know if it's the press's fault. I don't think so either. I mean, it's the same thing with the West Memphis Three. Look at this vicious killing. Is it really the press's fault to take an interest in this very grotesque murders? Can you blame them? But know. isn't it interesting that this campaign didn't start till almost 15 years, at least 15 years after he got out, when the public had started to forget how awful it was? I mean, once again, a good innocence fraud campaign really can't start till way after, way after the, the conviction. Yeah, way after things change, trees grow. Right. You can go over to the, you know, Robin Hood Hills. It's just a vacant lot. It's empty. They, they tore off all the trees, leveled it. It's oh, gone. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's just a, it's just an empty field right now. So when everything goes cold, then like, people start getting all this. I'm going to try it in my own mind. Oh, you weren't there. You weren't. That's why you have the courts. That's why you have judges and experts, evidentiary rules to go through, and a jury, really. Well, get ready for the pushback, will you, Ramsey, because they're going to call you everything but a son of God. <laughs> it's okay, because uh, I went through it 10 years ago. I still go you really it. did. You really did. Appreciate it, though. Appreciate your book, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much, William Ramsey. Thanks, oh, where can people find you before you go? Almost 750 episodes on my podcast, William Ramsey Investigates Five Books, which you can order some of them at my website, William Ramsey Investigates Five Documentaries on Vimeo. I'm around on social media. You've been at this a long time. 750 episodes. Wow. That's a lot of work. Wow. It's a lot of me being interviewed, too. You know, So it's not just me interviewing people. So if you want to see my you know, audio about my thoughts about my own work, there's a lot there. William Ramsey, thank you so much. Thank you.